Yeah. Welcome to the third installment of our podcast. Um, this week we're doing something a little bit different with Jack Jacobs, but Adam will introduce him in a sec. Um, thank you so much for everyone that watched last week's podcast. We're sorry that it got cut short a little bit, but I um, hope we, you guys loved Myra as much as we did. Yeah, so this is Jack Jacobs. Um, Jack Jacobs went to my high school, uh, Newington, and was head prefect. He currently does arts law at Sydney Uni, um, doing philosophy, and he's about to do honours in philosophy, which is really cool. He volunteers at Redfern Legal um, Centre. He does a lot of research. Um, in his free time, he's very into music, like guitar music. Um, one of his favourites is Leonard Cohen. <laughs> um, he is a very, very well-read person, very smart, very interested in things like politics, philosophy and history. Um, and like I've personally gained a lot of knowledge just like having coffees with Jack and stuff. He's someone that, yeah, he can explain things, pr explain profound concepts, like, really, really well. Yeah. I kind of thought <laughs> yeah. that Jack was a metaphor for God, for the way Adam <laughs> described him over an exchange. <laughs> intellectual <laughs> God, intellectual Intelli God. Very intellectual God, yeah. Jeez. So Adam has a lot of respect for Jack. It was nice we got a coffee, or green tea, so I should say, yeah, green about tea, yeah, green two, tea. two months ago or something. <laughs> it was a great chat, and yeah. very keen to see how this goes. Okay, so yeah. we'll, start okay. Off, we'll start off very nice and broad. And yeah. what is your like? What is your conception of life? Let's just like start off there and see where it goes. Oh, right, right. Well, first off, I'm just you know I'm 20 years old. I'm just <laughs> just interested in different ideas and different people and stuff. Um, it's a it's a big intro. Now, so yeah. <laughs> what's my concept? What's my I don't know. Um, I can tell you what I'm interested about. Okay, mm -hmm. so in, or in. I'm very interested in about three areas. I think so. The first thing is I really. I really care about people, and people say that because that's just what everyone says. But I actually care a lot about um, leadership communities and kind of engaging with people one on one and trying to better people's lives. One is that from a human psychology point of view? Um, not even that, man. Like I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just yeah. thinking about what makes me feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. um, what I want my life to be about is I want it to be about that leadership, both at like a collective level, but also at that individual level. Yeah, so for sure, that's definitely something that arose out of high school for me. Um, something that really continued on through some stuff that I did over the last two years um, at, at UCID, um, in some research work, at Redfern now. That's what I really care about. And yeah. so everything in my life is kind of trying to work out how I can better myself in yeah. response to that. Um, awesome. The second thing that probably matters for me, I think, is our ideas. So, mm -hmm. like, I know every time that, you know, we all get together and speak mm. yeah. over teas and coffees and all that, what we kind just of tease. Yeah, just tease. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of just get to the yeah. philosophy stuff straight yeah. away um and it tends to be like that often when i talk to people these days yeah. just because that's what i'm thinking about so mm. i really care about ideas in and of themselves i think they're very mm. interesting i love intellectual life i love reading i love trying to get him i love trying to get better at it mm. um by no means all the way there yet but i, I love that space and um, the third thing I really care about is art. I really care about music and yeah. um, poetry and writing yeah. and about thinking about important questions in poetic mm. ways. Um, yeah, I think yeah. your conception of art is really beautiful because we talk a lot about yeah. spirituality and religion and you sort of see God as art itself yeah. and poetry and you find your meaning of God and of life within the poetry mm. that you write and the art that you create, yeah. which so, I find yeah. really interesting. Well, we're straight to it then with that. But like, I guess it is, we were talking about it, it's, it's Easter week right now. Yeah. Um, it's Holy Thursday tonight and that's actually my favourite night of the year metaphorically. Really? Um, so I'm not a religious person, I don't mm. Look, I was, I was raised in, like, a Catholic household and stuff, but nothing was ever hardcore. My parents yeah. were very liberal, very open-minded. Yeah. Um, and not even Catholic some of the times. So, you know, it moves back and forth. But what's really um, special to me about religion are the kind of 
stories that they offer up and what mm. they can teach us about. Like the archetypes within those stories. Yeah, I guess, you know, we talk a lot about Carl Jung and the and Jung's become a big deal because of Jordan B. Peterson. Yeah. We talk about him yeah. as well. Um, my thoughts, I'm obviously just someone who reads Jung. I'm not a psychiatrist or a student in that space. I just kind mm. of enter into it. But um, I think Jung is uh, more of a of a poet philosopher than he's actually a psychiatrist. And I say that again without knowledge of the kind of empirical basis of psychiatry in the same way others would have. Mm. But mm. kind of in reading Freud and then in comparing Jung to Freud and then speaking to some fairly advanced kind of psychiatrists, what you learn is that what Jung teaches us about how art works and how it appeals to kind of a collective psychology through mm. symbolism and language is kind of a really yeah. interesting thing to learn. So. Um, what Adam and I is something that we often talk about is, you know, Adam's very interested in the idea of archetypes. So yeah. what are archetypes for the people watching? It's fascinating. From my understanding, um, archetypes are this kind of mode of, of, of thinking whereby Jung says that pretty much between all human beings, no matter from, you know, the, the modern man or woman going back to the kind of uh, man or woman living in ancient Greece or ancient India, mm. what we all share is a similar capacity for the same symbols yeah so i know there's a mm, mother so, archetype the mother's yeah. child archetype so like a lot of these archetypes are kind of um, made famous through jung who talked about the child archetype the mother archetype mm. the, the hero archetype like the joker archetype the joker yeah all that kind of stuff um that's probably a bit too categorical but the mm -hmm. idea is that jung he was establishing and moving on from this french philosopher called um i think his name's levi brell i'm not sure who talked about this thing called uh, um participation mystique right so think about what that word translation means in English it's kind of participating into mystery mm. right um, and what Jung meant by that is he said that within all human beings there's a mystery located okay we are beings who work in corporate spaces in businesses mm. um, in a market where social beings family beings we, we love sport we love music but at the core of all people there is some kind of spiritual or mystic resonance now, I don't necessarily mean that that thing is actually there. Like, I can't say that. Mm. But what Jung would say is that we all have an ability to see or to resonate with different kind of anchor points. So why tonight is important to me, tonight is, the, uh, is last Thursday in the, in the Catholic tradition, right, in the Christian tradition. Um, last Thursday is the night when Jesus kind of experiences an inward uh, sense of doubt that he expresses outwards for the first time. So he, he sits in the garden away from his disciples, and he kind of prays to God because he knows what the task demanded of him in the next day is going to be, that he has to give his life for humanity, at least as the myth so foretells, mm. right? Um, what I find so interesting about that is that is Jesus as creative artist, you know, being in that space of meditation, engaging with um, the kind of chaos within himself um, and with the Jungian archetypes that exist within himself, kind of mm. saying, do I want to be a hero? Do I want to fulfill this task of faith? Do I want to kind of run? And so what's really interesting about that and what I find appealing about religion, and this is all coming back to Jung, are those religions or those moments in religions where doubt is present. You know, yeah. If you look at early um, manuscripts talking about uh, of the Quran, um, when Muhammad um, is revealed by the angel, um, uh, the Quran, he tries to throw himself off the cliff because he's so overwhelmed mm. with this kind of knowledge that he's got out of, out of nowhere. With, with Hinduism mm. as well, with, with the whole Diwali story, there's a lot of doubt involved. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So, exactly. So, you know, my favourite story from Hinduism, and I just got back from India, where I spent a lot of time with my grandfather, who's kind of very adept in these texts, yeah. and um, he gave me this beautiful copy of the Bhagavad Gita, which is like their 
their core text, mm-hmm. um, which has gone through my family for generations. And the Gita is about a character named Arjun, who's like mm. this prince, essentially. And Arjun um, finds himself pitched in a battle against his gurus, against his mentors, the people he loves, who have taught him his values and what he knows. And Arjun goes, I don't want to kill these people. Like, I have compassion towards them. These are my yeah. friends. These are my mentors. And then Krishna kind of descends and becomes Arjun's charioteer and acts as this kind of divine um, staple pitched against, you know, Arjun's human doubt. Yeah. And that whole Gita is about how Arjun kind of like Jesus in the garden reconciles with his doubt yeah. as a human being. And so to bring all this back, what I'm interested with the religion stuff, with the Jung stuff, is just about Charles Sanders Peirce, who's a pragmatist. Um, of, 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 pragmatism is a school of philosophy which says we're going to look at ideas um, for their value in the practical reality, how things can actually change Are you a life for other people. yourself, do you think? Um, Pragmatism has very set definitions, uh, so it's not just a broad term in the way that we use it. I'm not necessarily a pragmatist in the f- sense of the actual philosophical disposition, but I agree with a lot of it. Mm. Um, I believe that ideas do have an intrinsic resonance um, that is separate from just their actual inaction, okay. which might separate me. Um, they do have a space for that, but yeah. But the idea is that Charles Sanders Spears says, let us not pretend to doubt in philosophy what we do not doubt in our hearts. Yeah. Right. And so what's he saying by that? He's saying that at the end of the day, you can sit there, do all this abstract a priori, which means abstract yeah. uh, reasoning and knowledge and think about life from a perspective of books and libraries. But at the end of the day, if you're not acting true to your purpose, true with your heart, true to your doubt, yeah. you're not going to be necessarily working through life in the way that mm. you could be. What do you mean by true to your doubts? <clears throat> I want to ask what do you mean true but to your purpose because that <laughs> yeah. comes into you um, we've been we've just finished a philosophy of happiness essay yeah. looked a lot into Aristotle and his views of happiness yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, everyone um, pursuing rational human activity in the sense that everyone has this innate yeah. purpose I strongly disagree with yeah. it he's kind of in the it, middle yeah so he's like theory of eudaimonia was that like was the way to live a life was basically <laughs> live a life yeah. of virtue that's how he believed and that's well, yeah, like yeah. everyone's purpose exactly. should be directed towards so Aristotle's that. really coming from this teleological place where he's looking to how human beings fulfill their function, right? Mm. Aristotle's always obsessed with function. Mm. Um, that's why he likes virtue ethics. He's not concerned with kind of um, meta-ethical systems. He's concerned with individuals and how they can live their lives along character um, dispositions that are going to mm. move them towards their purpose. But to kind of talk about this, what I mean by doubt and being true to your doubt, well, let's talk about Leonard Cohen. So Leonard Cohen was a songwriter from the... Um, 60s and 70s he really famously wrote the song hallelujah which everyone knows yeah. um it's one of the greatest songs ever written um but he actually had a great swathe of work that went beyond that and he started off as a poet he's my favorite songwriter my favorite thinker my favorite artist one of my favorite human beings mm. leonard cohen's entire career in writing whether he's writing about women or god and for leonard cohen um the two as in romantic love and god are the same thing they're not different by the way mm. um it's always operating from the space of doubt. He's always begging questions about life, wanting to know the source of things, but never mm. quite get so far. And, you know, his final song, um, his final album, um, kind of plays to that just before he dies. And he talks about how he wishes there, there was a treaty he could sign with God to know God's knowledge and about how, you know, he's finally putting out the candle without knowing truth. But the idea is that human beings who acknowledge their doubt before big questions before God, even before their life purpose, are the human beings that I really look up to. Mm. Arjun, Jesus at Gethsemane, mm. Leonard Cohen, 
because these people have a humility about them for me. A humility that kind of really plays to what the human quest is, which is just a space of confusion where we're trying to reconcile with mm. a bunch of things and work them do out. You, do you think we live in an era of more humility than ever before? No, not at all. Um, I think that technology has is one of the most powerful, is the most powerful human invention ever and has an immense capacity for good. Mm. But kind of social media, all different forms of tech um, have kind of fragmented us to the point where we're becoming incessant narcissists. Like, mm, I think yeah. that's a part of how things are working. So... I think, no, I think humility is lacking. Um, it's still there, don't get me wrong. It's still yeah. massively there. Mm. But I'm not quite talking about humility in the sense of social humility. I mean, humility in the sense of being comfortable with your not knowing. Yeah. Right? That's what we see, you know, before Aristotle, there was, um, there was Plato. And before Plato, there was Socrates. There was mm. Socrates. So Socrates, you know, said... When famously when he was asked what do you know of the world and he says you know even I know that my beliefs and my knowledge is limited mm. and that's what mm. I know that's my foundational purpose yeah. he began from scepticism yeah. and I see a lot of virtue in acknowledging your doubt and in your incapacity mm. to know so like um like we joke about it, like you joke about, you know, Jack Jacobs is God and all that, but that is so far from kind of what, <laughs> yeah. you know um, what I kind of want to go with because I think that Politically, in terms of the political systems that work for humanity, the, the ethical systems that work, the things that kind of work for us are when we are operating from that mm. point of... So, um, yeah, I really agree with that. But then how do we get past this doubt? Like, in, so on a level, is like as a society trying yeah. to converge to political beliefs that sort of satisfy everyone, but even like charismatic and influential individuals like Arjun yeah. and Jesus Christ, so they started from this position of doubt Mm. And they went to this position of like sort of extreme faith in an idea. And what is that overcoming of doubt? I think the way to overcome doubt is to not overcome it. I think it's actually to embody it, right? So, is there any modern day um, examples of someone that does that well? Yeah, I'm just trying to. I'm just. I was thinking to... Trump, but then I was like, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think okay. First off, before we get into that, we have to split this into two spaces, right? It, you can really commit damaging. Uh, thoughts when you kind of equate politics directly with this kind of more philosophical, spiritual stuff. Mm. It's interesting to do, but it, it can be a problem because what you then do is that you create space for um, profits to enter into the the political sphere and start to kind of operate from a spiritual base to try and okay, garner yeah. public support. But and that's, do you want those two things to be I think I think that there is a room for kind of... Um, for <laughs> Um, for lofty ideas and for spiritualism in politics, but it has mm. to very heavily be regulated and to come from a point yeah. of, mm. of a framework of interaction first. Um, I tend to talk about politics when you're getting down the nitty-gritty of it in much more kind of circumstantial, uh, dirty kind of... Not dirty, but you know what I mean, like kind of on the feet on the floor ways. Yeah. Um, but let's first deal with your question about um, how you actually work with doubt. And I think mm. what someone like Leonard Cohen does is that they embrace doubt. Rumi, uh, the Sufi poet has a line that's quite similar to Leonard Cohen. Um, Rumi says, the wound is the place where the light enters you. Okay. And Leonard Cohen in Avalanche, not in Avalanche, in Anthem says, there is a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. And the idea mm. is that what doubt creates is a possibility for human beings to explore ways out of that doubt that in that exploration are actually going to better them in the way they mm. relate, even though they won't arrive at an end this point. This is sort of like the whole hero's journey thing. It sounds to me like you start off with sort of problem or issue and that is good because given that problem or issue, you're able to overcome it. Yeah, I think, I think individual. so. Yeah, yeah. I've got the hero's journey is really kind of um, trivialized and play, played up because of how it was reappropriated, you know, when Star Wars and Ebola came yeah, out, a whole lot yeah. of academic journals came out in relation to that. 
But yeah, the hero's journey is valuable not for where you end up, for but for the process. It's mm. one of the most cliche things. I of think all this time. is something very relatable but, to yeah. what most university students feel. Doubt yeah. with their degree, doubt with where they want to go in life mm. and stuff. Yeah. But just like how do you practically go about embracing yeah. that doubt? Well it's, it's certainly helped me. Like I'm always in a place of doubt with what I want to do mm. and how I want to act in the world. Mm. And like I spent, you know, I had a really good sense of it in school of what I wanted to do. I wanted to do like service stuff and you know, I wanted to do some music at the same time and do the law thing. Mm. And then I kind of got really confused about it and became yeah. pretty disenfranchised with law. Yeah, you were a bit against law. I remember having yeah. a coffee and like, yeah, you were always wanting to drop out. At, yeah, I, I was time, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, it took me around two years to get around to it because mm. I was in that space of doubt. And then mm. I found something about law and about academic study that wasn't just detached and useless, but something that was really important. Mm. And that's where I'm kind of operating from now. So is that but, like you see law as a vehicle for like service to the community? Is that... I think I think the law is so many things, man. I think Barack Obama has a lovely quote about the law that he writes in Dreams from My Father. Um, Dreams from My Father is like this autobiography yeah. right? um, that he writes. Obama was like a really strong constitutional law before he became president. And he says um, the law is a really kind of uh, a difficult thing to engage with because it often tells people without power why they have it and does nothing about it and yeah. people with power why they have it and lets that be the case. Mm. But more than that, what it does is that it tries to... Um, adopt or kind of meet arcane principles to an uncooperative reality. Think about what the law is. It's a construction of, well, if you believe that, it's a construction that human beings have made up to regulate themselves. Yeah. Um, that we're trying to kind of meld towards this very disparate, difficult, complex reality. How can anything do that perfectly? Mm. It's not going to. But he says what the law is is this. He says the law is, is a running memory, okay? It's, it's the history um, of the consciousness of a nation arguing with itself. And so wow. what I find really interesting about law is that once you adopt that in studying law in the Australian setting, what you are doing is that you are literally engaging with the living memory of Australia. That's fascinating. With the living memory of Commonwealth systems. And you are getting to buy into that and be a mm. part of that process of evolution. Nice there's, nothing, yeah. there's nothing more noble than that for me, you know, that's like, awesome. um, in terms of what I care about. Yeah. I think that's really I, I think that's great for you because yeah. it's like a mix of the ideology, like, so our consciousness, yeah. what we think there, yeah. then putting into that practical notion of taking the ideas into that practical yeah, form. Like, and that's what the law is, in a sense. Like, yeah, that the, I the law is like your constant reconciliation. And, you know, Jung, like I was reading last night, and Jung says this great line about consciousness where he says that, you know, there are no problems without consciousness. And it's so true that if you didn't have consciousness, there would be no problems. There would be mm. no humanity. Um, what is consciousness? It is Jesus in the garden. It's that doubt. Consciousness is doubt. Right? So the law is that is trying to work out how to direct that consciousness in a way that's going to help people. Something I want to kind of go into now yeah. is I remember we had yeah. this conversation when I was telling you something about me and Adam's conceptions of self-development. And I yeah. think just as a broad characterization, me and Adam are very literal compared to Jack. And you have this, <laughs> yeah. you have this very artistic, um, you have a very yeah. artistic, artistic way of way saying of looking at the world. Which isn't helpful all the time. Like, yeah. I, think it, I think it's well, very beautiful. In yeah. Yeah, so you beautiful. told me that I asked, like, how do you guide your intuition? And you said it's very natural. It's like you're driven by this artistic yeah. notion and yeah. kind of guide your intuition a little bit. I think that was a conversation we had. Yeah, thought. yeah. Um, I, I don't really think about it like that. I guess, look, if, if it was a setting where I have to be practical and work legally or, like, or write or do whatever. Yeah, would you be happy with that kind of life? Yeah. Just being a lawyer, um, let's, okay, let's, let's take this, yeah. let's being, um, being a tax lawyer. No. <laughs> no way, no way. Mm. Um, I'd rather teach in the law. Okay? Yeah. So I think what I'll probably end up, I have no idea where I'm going to end up. I'm just trying to garner as many skills as I can, develop yeah. them and just be on fire and be interested and just mm. do that. 
I don't know where it will go, but I think I'll probably end up sharing it and teaching it in yeah. some way. I think that'll mm. be the way for me. Um, I think that I'm more, I like constitutional law, international law and that stuff more. I wouldn't be surprised if I end up doing something in a writing capacity in yeah. the philosophy space. Or Do you have any special like writing projects at the moment? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing, uh, the University of Sydney has this thing called the Wentworth Medal, yeah. which is this essay competition. Mm -hmm. And so um, the idea is really interesting. It's about social media and how it infringes upon democracy. Cool. Potentially, yes or Super no. Super interesting. So I'm, I'm actually writing a, about that. It's like yeah. a year-long thing. It's just mainly for me to kind of engage with ideas outside of mm. what I normally yeah. would. What's your stance on that? Oh. Don't mind telling mm. um, so we'll get to that. I just want to talk just really quickly what you said about the metaphor thing and how I think. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I just want to say you can think in this way and make these connections, and my mum really does this, and that's probably what where that's coming from. Mm. Um, and he certainly did it his whole life. But at the end of the day, what's valuable about pragmatism is that you've got to get down to it and do it. So you've got to be able to hold these kind of two, um, these two kind of opposing forces in one hand at the same time. It's like the unconscious and the conscious. That's what Jung is talking about anyway. Mm. So that's what it's about, right? But um, the tech thing, really interesting. Um, what's, what's going on, I guess, in the wake, very sadly, of Christchurch? Yeah. So when Christchurch happened... Um, it was streamed, right? Or it was, yeah. was live-streamed, yeah. And it took about, you know, 54 minutes to an hour to be brought, to be taken down by Facebook. Mm. Yeah. And there were so many ways you could look at Christchurch, um, the idea of it being an attack on Muslims occurring in New Zealand, mm. Jacinda Ardern's like incredible response to it, so many viewpoints. But the one that I kind of really um, was interested in because I hadn't really encountered it before, I was very interested in the other ones too and very you know disturbed by them as well, but was the technology idea. So yeah. this is the idea that is, is to what extent is social media um, and more so the kind of uh, the business model undergirding kind of big tech uh, damaging the way we do democracy and, and go yeah. about um, thinking and thought. And so you talked about the narcissism, narcissism thing before. Yeah. Um, everyone thinks that, you know, the danger of Instagram and Facebook is just that, you know, people are caring about likes and all that's all mm. so true. And the impacts that has on mental health and stuff, so real. Yeah. Yeah. But what's um, pretty concerning as well are the business models. So, you know, when the internet started up, um, it was kind of engineered by these very libertarian um, kind of tech heads who had this ideal of what the internet could be as a free yeah. space for communication and individuality, mm. these beautiful ideals. But that meant that it never started off from a place of regulation. It was like this deregulated yeah. new wild yeah. west. So it gives a lot of like opportunity yeah. for good, but also exactly. for the bad. And right? what happened was these, these big tech companies entered into this space, Facebook and, and, you know, and Google and all that. And the only way they could offer free services, and I think they probably started off with the intention of trying to share these services. I, I definitely way. did think they, yeah. yeah, just they had this problem of monetization. They yeah, exactly. They had a problem. Mm. So what do they do? You know, like they went to advertisement. And the issue is that the way that that process actually works through algorithms now is that the algorithms are constantly tracking our behavior and acting like this kind of um, consistent new big brother regulator of yeah. every move that you make. And the kind of, you know, the problems that has for, for politics, um, mm. for issues like in like incessant right-wing racism or yeah. kind of um you know the inverse of that um in, in religious violence is just, just a paper yeah, on this uh, filter yeah. bubbles yeah. and stuff yeah 
super, yeah, do, do you think that can be that. good in some ways? So, for example, like with these sort of filter bubbles, like you're going on the internet searching for certain things and then the advertising on Facebook be for similar products like that. So in a way, you could say it's like helping you. Well, it's yeah. directing <laughs> advertising to things that you do yeah, want, not just I, random I things. I don't really think that's a filter you, bubble, though. This is more about political orientation. Okay. So on then, that yeah, side, do you see that as good at all? It's not just politics. It's also like just the idea that there's something regulating your every movement and adopting your psychology. Because the issue is... The issue is that these algorithms are not just regulating you, they're actually shifting your behavior too. Well, so, there's the whole casino analogy um, where they actually use, exactly. they actually engineer them so, similar exactly. to pokey machines. Exactly. So it's kind of that um, dopamine reward here that exactly. you get um, from yeah. the interface, how they engineer yeah. all of it. Okay. It's kind of like this, like a yeah. pokey machine. And what's the danger of that? Do you think they're just well, because totally changing our psychology? Our minds are so plastic and if you believe in something like a collective unconscious, the idea that when we're aggregating in groups, we lose some form of individual rationality and fall into a group thing. Mm. What happens, therefore, if that group is being modified um, through the data that is being incurred through Facebook? Yeah. That is literally shifting group mentality online mm. yeah. and, and breaking down individuality. And so, you know, this has really big consequences. And, you know, why do people want to... You know, I read after that, after Christchurch happened, that people were trying to ask people who had uploaded the video to view it. Why would you want to view something as evil mm. as that? You know, mm. and so that's the kind of question I'm thinking about here is that mob psychology. You it's know, that social identity theory. So social like identity, yeah. With like, my, I think they did an experiment where they just literally separated two groups mm. and they were like, you guys are green, yeah. you guys are red. And the red had no idea who each other were, but they validated that they liked each other a lot better and that the greens were like bad people kind of thing, just yeah. based on that. And if you have that on a scale every day with all the characterized categorizations that social media has, yeah. like imagine the implications it has on how we view each other as well. Yeah, mm. and it's just, it's just what I'm concerned with is how it rewires the psychology. You know, yeah. like there's... Do you think it literally so like changes like our states of I know, being it, it our states like, of consciousness? It because it, like, it objectively something does. I've you know it does. felt like, is like, say if like, yeah. I'm like, wake up, maybe I'm like hungover, I might like check my phone in the morning, but normally like most mornings I try and wait like maybe two hours before checking my phone. So like go through some, yeah. some sort of like routine, do some exercise, like get in the sun for a bit and like mm. it feels really, really great. And there's a very pronounced difference from like if I wake up, go on my phone, mm. check notifications, check messages, yeah. versus just living. It's just like mental. Yeah, clarity. just as a basic thing, like I, I actually deleted Facebook and yeah. Instagram and all that like a few months ago because of all this reading. Feel more productive <laughs> from that? <laughs> Massively. So. Yeah. What about like, the mental feel, state? Yeah, I just feel less cluttered. Like, yeah. I, you know, when, when I would have spent time on my Facebook feed would have had good stuff on it anyway, but it, the algorithms mm. would have been telling me what to read. So yeah. Making like, you know, no more Facebook stories. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but like, um, it's, it's just all kind of like, you know, you, you feel cluttered by the constant likes and the crap that yeah. comes on the memes and all. Like, it's not, I don't want to make a moral judgment on it. Like, it's just not for me, you know? Yeah. Like, I think there Do are you think it's for anybody then? I think the way that the not business, business like, like realistically, is it good for anybody? I think, I think the way the algorithms are working now and the business model is not good for anyone. I don't think it is. And I think okay. that we have to learn how to regulate that in some way. Okay. And that's why you, there's yeah. so much conversation coming out of that. Mm. Do you think like this stuff sort of comes down to regulation of this or each individual taking it upon themselves to know how much they're yeah. using it and being disciplined? I'm very, Should it be yeah, an individual yeah. onus or this big overarching I, I think, I think it's regulation? Be both. It's got to be both. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be both. Like... Um, I'm very wary of like, you know, Scott Morrison is trying to get this bill through Parliament right now to, <laughs> to, to like, you know. <laughs> I don't know what Scott you're doing. Scott Morrison's funny. So. <laughs> Why? Oh, angry day Mackers. But like, Weird he's trying stuff. to get this bill through Parliament to make, you know, two years jail time or whatever it is for Facebook execs here yeah. if they don't bring down live streaming fast enough. And 
you know, the ABC released a fact check this morning saying the tech for that doesn't exist. Like, yeah, AI, AI how, can't do that yet. Yeah. So, like, he doesn't actually have a... I think what he's asking for is too idealistic. And so I'm not mm. for direct all the way government um, regulation mm. with that because you're just going to choke the tech startup environment. Yeah. I kind of see it as well, a return um, punch from all the tax um, yeah. tax stuff that's going on. Like, I feel well, like there's a bit of... Well, a, yeah, there's, there's more to it. Obviously, there's an election coming up in a month or whatever, mm. so he's doing all that. But um, I think what a more intelligent way, um, a more intelligent way of going about it would be to kind of um, shift over to Facebook kind of responsibilities that you would uh, hold normal newspaper publishers to account to. So, like, normal newspaper publishers, when they publish content, you know, they will be held responsible for what they publish. Mm. Maybe Facebook's got to have some kind of mechanism like that, Amazon, Google as well. All right, yeah. uh, I just yeah. want to quickly pull this up. Yeah, so cool. this is screen time. Everyone that has an iPhone has it on there. Yeah. Let's see how much screen time oh, you're yeah. doing. And me it's and confronting. Adam started, it's confronting, like, man. Talking yeah. to each other about how much we're actually doing. Yeah. And I last yesterday I decided to go on a twenty-four hour. Well, it's probably going to turn to more like social media cleanse. It's just like crazy how much time we're spending on our phones. Yeah. And I can actually like if I think about the happiness of having the day, it's mm. literally indexed how much time I spend on my phone. On the days that I haven't how been that have t- today is so average for this week has been two hours, yeah. mm. um, which is isn't like insanely bad. But literally, if I've hadn't had a good day, I can look at my screen time. And my screen mm. time will be like three hours and fifteen yeah. minutes. Well, or three hours if your happiness minutes. is indexed, so why don't you just get like a Nokia phone and use that? I'm trying. Use, I'm trying to cut down. Literally, <laughs> it's just it's just. I'm why don't you just take that big even do that it's because my dopamine reward system is just <laughs> like, <laughs> I think we, we, we gotta be careful not to like you know throw it all out at once like tech is yeah. the biggest potential for yeah. that the world has right even it's the true. way we it's communicate just, this podcast this, yeah, like, yeah. this is like it's just, um, so it's, it's about finding intelligent ways around and that comes back to what you're saying that individual responsibility thing mm. so important like so mm. for me personally since I've not had it I just find that I have so much more time at night to read and yeah. you know, to play guitar 100%. to write to watch, you Do you know, feel like you have more energy throughout the day? Um, I, I don't really know. I, I probably do. I Like, I was never a massive user anyway. Like, I only would use it for Messenger. Yeah, like, yeah. I'd be on Messenger yeah. all the You're time. You're always online. Like, just, yeah. just contacting Making people. the Facebook story. Like, when I was overseas, <laughs> <laughs> talking to Terry and Terry. Talking to oh, Terry no. and stuff, you know, like, on yeah. there all the time. Yeah. But other than that, I wasn't, like, a massive news feed scroller. Yeah. I don't have Snapchat and all that. So, yeah. like, it wasn't an issue there. But There's a um, video we'll link in the comments that yeah. I actually watched this morning. It's a Yes Theory video again. But it just talks about social media. It talks about the dopamine mm. reward system. I've actually written an article about this. But it's literally the same, it develops the same kind of neural network as if you do cocaine or something like that. Yeah, it's crazy. it's just like, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So that's my kind of plan for now. I try and think about it in writing this thing and then not use it too much. Yeah. And then I might go back. I don't know. Like it just, it's where the world's going. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But yeah, there's so much good, as you said, for yeah, like, so much spread so good content, so ideas, communicate so. to people, I talk the, to people um, from around the world. I think the climate change um, strike is a key example of how social media can Oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, the climate change strike, that's very interesting. Yeah, what did you think about that? Um, interestingly, initially, I was um, opposed to it. Why is and that? I, uh, because I, I had a view that I, you know what I think, I, I, I believe in Edmund Burke and like in the, in the ideas of Edmund Burke and that kind of thing, where I think the best way to work through systems is to work through the system and find solutions from within systems rather mm-hmm. than trying to disrupt Just, them. Okay. But I think I, I changed my mind. I actually went on it. So I went on it for mm-hmm. about um, 20 minutes because when I, when I had time to go, mm. because I thought, okay, what's happening here is that these, these school kids have no other way to buy into the system at this time. Exactly. They can't vote. Um, they don't have this buy-in. So 
I'm going to go on this to support them. Mm. Not so much necessarily for the external networks that, are, that, re- that come out of it. Um, but I think what those external networks were trying to do was just trying to support these kids who had no other way of buying into the political process. So mm. um, that's, a, that's a really interesting question for me because I really believe in, in, in institutions and structure yeah. and, in, and in the validity of law and in mm. trying to do things in that kind of space where we can enact them. But it's sometimes, sometimes, you know, that question of when to disrupt that system is, is interesting for me, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's something I often think about, yeah. That's something cool. that I wouldn't like, I'm really curious about your opinion on this, but as I said, we've been yeah. doing this happiness essay. And where do you kind of stand on, like, what constitutes one's happiness? Is wow. it an external thing? Is it an internal thing? Or is yeah, it just very interesting purely questions. deterministic? Like, that, that's what I believe. I think it's very deterministic. Um, I, don't, I don't know, man. Um, if I was what do you mean you think it's If I was to an example, okay, let's say there's a hypothetical kid that has autism, um, and he, if we, if we ask him how he measures his own life, he mm. considers it very happy. But then there's people, external theorists, that would say, okay, no, he's not happy because he doesn't... Let's, let, if we go back yeah. to um, Aristotle's view, he's not pursuing rational activity or whatever. So, like, what's your view on that mm. conception of happiness? Uh, my view on Aristotle's conception or just, of happiness? Just, just, from that there's example. like that view of like extreme subjectivism where anybody can be completely happy just if you feel happy inside and then there's those sort of external externalist and objective theories there's where you look at someone and be like you can be better in that way there's a counting so grass example i think that's a really good one mm. in the sense that if there's a guy that spends his whole life just counting grass but that's what makes him happy yeah is, is he happy or yeah, is it because it's yeah. not meaningful activity? i guess this you can take the philosophical answer which i don't think i will do i think it would just become abstract but in terms of what makes people happy, I think, I guess, yeah, it would be, you know, I think, I think there is no blueprint for life. I don't think that there is any one way people mm. should live a life to make them happy. Like, remember, I'm still working it out myself, so I don't know. But um, I think that if you define your own terms and if you find a way to live in alignment with those terms, even in some pretty difficult circumstances from, what, from people that I've read their stories... Um, from looking at history, I think that you can find happiness from mm. that self-alignment with your own mm. values. Yeah. Um, but do you think most people do that? Like they make a set of like pretty strong foundation of values for their life and lead that? It's hard to know like what they are. Like, I, I, look, man, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a person who thinks that the end goal is necessarily important, as I said. So yeah, you're I, about would the actually, process I would not the ask that question of, is everyone happy? I would ask, okay what do I learn about myself or what do people learn about themselves in trying to move towards that goal? And I'm not even sure if happiness is necessarily the best goal for, for life. I think for me, it's about, as I said before, it's about um, mutuality. It's about kind of sh- trying to share mm. and, and, and service, everyone says service, but like, you know, trying to, trying to extend myself outwards and to mm. interact with people. And isn't experience that, isn't that, that what brings you happiness though? Um, it doesn't always bring happiness. More <laughs> happiness. Yeah, I think, I, and I think this is, you know, Johnny Peterson is, has caused a storm and for a lot of reasons for which he's not responsible. But I think what he essentially is trying to say is don't seek happiness, seek meaning, seek yeah. service, seek responsibility. Mm. And I yeah. think that part of his philosophy is really, um, is really intelligent. And I think that sure. that's a good way to live. So I would actually shift the goalpost. That's probably not... That's a very, no, no, no. no. Uh, I, I just think like, that um, what you just said, like you're kind of defining happiness in more of a pleasure-seeking view because some people would define happiness oh, yeah, satisfaction okay, yeah. with mm. fulfillment kind of thing. Yeah, I like, am, yeah, because I'm going up the hedonism thing and that's yeah. kind of how philosophy goes about yeah, it. So, yeah. um, 
I completely agree with you, but I just that would happiness be my definition could be of happiness. Yes. Happiness could be me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think at the end of the day, we're all just trying to work out how we want to live our lives on our own terms, and I think that uh, people do that in a variety of ways, and yeah. it doesn't always necessarily end in. I've got all the answers. I've achieved enlightenment. Just yeah. as this guy behind me proves, you know. So, yeah, and that's that constant the people journey that and reiteration of yeah. knowing what's better for you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think you know. Um, again, I hate to keep coming back to Jung, but you know, I've been reading. It comes back to Jung. It always comes back to Jung. It doesn't. As I said, Jung's more of a poet philosopher in my view. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but Jung talks about how, you know, if we're going to penetrate darkness, and darkness isn't a bad thing for him. It just means mystery. It means not. It means doubt, being confused. Mm-hmm. We have to summon all the enlightenment powers that consciousness can offer. And what does that say? That says that we need to try and reconcile with doubt, reconcile with meaning, and try to create it for ourselves, and mm-hmm. then go from there. And then so, I don't think, you know, maybe my mind will change in 50 years, but I'm just 20 years old and mm. I've read a few books that, you know. Going on from books, um, so yeah. what's the book you're reading at the moment? I'm reading quite a few books right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course, <Trust>. standard. <laughs> so I'm reading, I'm reading The Young Modern Man in Search of Soul. I'm reading yeah. this great book called The Intellectual Life of Edmund Burke, <laughs> which is um, an intellectual biography of my favourite political statesman from the UK in the 18th century. Um, People don't think you're crazy. (laughs) 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 Burke's awesome. Burke Burke is an incredible thinker. I love his thoughts on India and and the American Revolution on on disruption and systems. Mm. Um, I'm reading a biography of um, George Herbert, (laughs) which is, he's a a poet um, from England as well. Um, I'm reading, I'm rereading some Leonard Cohen stuff as well. I'm rereading his his poetry books. He's released like his final anthology, The Flame. Yeah. I'm reading that. When do you find the time to do all this reading? Um, is it just it's whenever you're free time? I kind of meet him. No, no, I, I dip into it at different mm-hmm. times. Like it's mm. you know, I'm not. <laughs> I don't spend all my life in a whole reading. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> but you know, when I just I tap into it. Um, what else? I'm reading all this stuff at uni, obviously, which is really cool. Um, but I'm reading. I'm trying to work through the critique of pure reason, and I yeah. can't. So I'm doing like a, Sick. a guided reading of that with this guy <laughs> called <laughs> <laughs> this guy called Robert Paul Wolf. Um, just so like mm. following his lectures and reading that at the same time. Can um, I ask? Do you have like maybe a favorite, not favorite book, but a favorite story, favorite fiction story, like a narrative that like yeah. speaks really deep to you? Coming off that, I, question, I think I know what this is. If there's someone that's kind of really interested in the things you're talking it's, about, where's a good place to start? In terms of yeah. um, just but answer his question. Yeah. First. Okay, so Adam's question yeah. first. My so- Harry Potter man, Harry Potter, yeah. all the rings. Like yeah. I think that's what that's what the value of Jung is. It doesn't need to be some crazy academic, you know, ivory tower text. I think that the Lord of the Rings is the greatest work of fiction ever created, and I think Harry Potter, for me personally, has a resonance more than anything. Mm. Um, I love I love the morality in those in those stories. I love the friendship. Mm. Um, I love what it teaches us about trying to create meaning for ourselves. Mm. Um, Harry Potter, Lord yeah. of the Rings, those, I love Game of Thrones, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's, like, what's like the central theme or point that connects each of those things, like Harry Potter, Star Wars, Game of Thrones? It's all the journey. Like, that's what... What is it? I think, for, I think for Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, it's about the characters I admire are those characters who live, um, who find meaning for themselves through living in service to others. Like Aragorn in the, in the Lord of the Rings is someone who I really appeal mm. to ever since I was a little kid. Like... <laughs> seeing Strider in the back of that tavern, you know, smoking the pipe, and then knowing that he's just living in his, sh- in his shadow space to move, out, watch long to move out and <laughs> to, like, become this very honourable man of integrity mm. um, who then becomes a king later on. Like that. Were you having these thoughts when you were 10 years old? Or? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think in a more kind of like, yeah. wow, look at his sword kind of way. But, like, yeah. but, um, but, but, Harry, but Harry Potter mm. as well for that yeah. same, you know, the friendship, the loyalty. The, I love people with integrity and character. That's what's so mm. important. If you have that... 
That's what life is. It's a quest for character. Mm. It's a and that's why people character. are so attractive to those sort of movies, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like you're not thinking about it mm. deeply, but you're attracted to these yeah. individuals that are on that journey, yeah. living that sort of morally yeah. good life. And where do you, where should you go for, I don't know, like, I've just been very lucky to have a lot of incredible mentors in my life and um, people who have, have shared with me um, have been have their, their interests and their ideas, and mm. I've just kind of followed their their ideas and their books and what they're interested in. So... I don't know what should people read. What what books have influenced me? Um, James Joyce's Portrait of, of the Artist is a great kind of stepping stone into mm. literature that deals with the kind of stuff we're talking about now. Um, T. S. Eliot's poetry really impacted me. Everything Leonard Cohen offers. Mm. Scott Walker, the musician. Um, who else? Uh, uh, Prince was a big deal for me as yeah. as, as, a, as an artist, as a musician. Mm. Um, Read, I'm listening to this great thing, everyone should check out, Stephen Fry's Mythos, okay. which is, I've heard of that I'm listening book. to it as an audio book, um, it's his retelling of all the Greek myths. Yeah, important Super stuff. cool, he's an incredible thinker. Mm. I love Christopher Hitchens, um, yeah. I love his work, Amazing I've read movie. all the books that he has, has offered. Mm. We'll send you a message and we'll just put it in the notes. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah. His, um, like a reading yeah, list cool. from Jack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Time <laughs> to start. One more question before we, <laughs> what's the what's the hair and beard doing? Like, what's the, <laughs> <laughs> what's the timeline? <laughs> um... <laughs> The beard, <laughs> I'll try and kind of keep yeah. a bit tame, but the hair, you know, how long is it now? It's like pretty. Fuck. I'll, I'll try and no, I'll try and bring it, I'll try and bring it down that. about there. Yeah, the hair looks. And then there's the artistic soul within you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're going like eight months behind the Terry look. Like yeah, <laughs> I think like Terry's following me <laughs> in some world. Yeah, hello to Terry. <laughs> yeah, One day we're gonna have him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Terry's Terry's. <laughs> you're talking about wisdom. Terry's Terry's word off you that enigma. Yeah, Hero. and he'll tell it as it is. The way I see it, that's how he's always saying. The way I see it. <laughs> I'm really scared for that day. Yeah, so I'm am I. Excited. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. This has been great. That was a really good yeah. chat. Thanks for having me on, guys. That was really um, interesting. Yeah, cool. thanks for having us. We'll put the yeah. reading list yeah. in the bio. <laughs> if you want a reading list. That was um, yeah. episode three, Jack yeah. Jacobs. Yeah. And yeah, thanks for great. watching. It's good fun. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>